Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Joining me again this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I have both the honor and the privilege of speaking with one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, Mr. Ben Wright. I've had the honor of talking with guys, you know, on this show, legends in this sport like Mr. Gary Player and Mr. Billy Casper, guys who are very powerful in the game of golf like Steve Mona and members of the media who are going to become legends. Uh, Mr. Peter Kessler, Mr. Matt Adams. But when Mr. Wright answered the phone when I called and agreed to join me this morning, the sense of anticipation for this conversation has been like a kid looking forward to Christmas morning. I tell you what, I am so excited and so honored to have him uh, as part of the show today. Mr. Wright's knowledge, insights, and calls are woven into the history of the game of golf. He was so much a part of what made the Masters special for over 20 years game of golf lost a voice that elevated the sport and the broadcasting medium, quite frankly, to a higher level when he was forced to walk away nearly 20 years ago. We'll talk about his absolutely fascinating life, his time at CBS, and of course the Masters when he joins me here in just a moment. But before we get started, I want to kick off the show like we do every single week here by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank you for your daily sacrifices and all you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank those of you who serve or have served in every branch of the military and public service. We truly appreciate what you do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. Quite frankly, it's through your strength and efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. We also want to thank everyone listening in on iHeartRadio, as well as great radio sites across the Internet like Spreaker.com, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Player.fm, and Blog Talk Radio. I also want to give a special shout-out to our good friends Mike Kovacs, Ben Kerr, Mark Modeski, and the rest of the great staff over at LastWordOnSports.com. Check those guys out online and on Twitter. I'm telling you, folks, their site is absolutely fantastic and contains great content across every sport. Their staff of writers are wonderful. You're going to love going to their site every single day for your sports news. If you haven't been there yet, then you need to go check it out and then bookmark it. LastWordOnSports.com. Plus, you know, if someone's dragging you to the mall, you know, hey, the holiday seasons are coming up. You're going to be spending time in the mall. If you're at the grocery store, you're just tired of the same old, same old on your commute. Download the Player.fm or the Stitcher app on your smartphone and, uh, smartphone and take us with you everywhere you go. 
And I also want to give a, a shout-out to our great folks uh, over at Kyvan Foods. They are the sponsor of this show. Former uh, Bengals and Falcons tight end Reggie Kelly has created a wonderful array of products, his salsas, sauces, and spices. They're all natural, and they're going to liven up every meal and every recipe that you have. So while your friends at your next house party, your upcoming holiday parties, or your next tailgate party, by adding Kyvan products to everything on your menu, you can find them online by going to kyvan82.com. That's Kyvan, K-Y-V-A-N, the number 82.com. All right, now joining me on the Kyvan Foods guest line is Mr. Ben Wright. Mr. Wright, as you know, is one of the great broadcasters in the history of radio and television. Let me give you some background that you may not know. He was educated at the Felstead School in Essex, England, and at London University. He served as a Russian interpreter in the British Army. In 1954, he became a sports writer and then golf correspondent with the Daily Dispatch in Manchester and the Daily Mirror in London before becoming a freelance writer and broadcaster in 1961. He wrote weekly columns for The Observer and Sunday Times national newspapers and contributed regularly to Time Magazine and Sports Illustrated. He did broadcast for the BBC Radio and Television and ITV, a British uh, commercial network. He was one of the founders and associate editors of Golf World in the UK and joined the Financial Times as his first ever golf correspondent in 1966 and uh, wrote weekly columns there until 1989. In addition to serving as an announcer for CBS TV Sports starting in 1972, Mr. Wright broadcast golf for the BBC, ITV, Australian TV, and TV in New Zealand. From 1993 to 96, he hosted uh, the World Feed for the Sun City Million Dollar Challenge and broadcast the World Golf, uh, World Cup of Golf from Cape Town, South Africa in 1966. And he's forever going to live in my heart and in my mind for the wonderful work he did at CBS Broadcasting, particularly at the Masters. As you all know, I'm a big fan of Jack Nicklaus, and Mr. Wright's call during CBS's coverage of the back nine in 1986 as part of the magic that made that you know, afternoon so wonderful and so memorable for so many of us. And I am so honored to have him next on the tee with me this morning. Mr. Wright, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Chris, I love joining you. Uh, I'm exhausted by your introduction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not worth that much for goodness, goodness me, but I have had a, a very wonderful life. I mean, a man who is blessed with traveling the world in the front cabin at other people's expense and then gets paid a king's ransom for so doing is a truly lucky man, particularly as I've had a love affair with the game of golf since I was a 10-year-old, and my paternal grandfather presented me on my 10th birthday uh, with a cut-down hickory-shafted mashie, which I proceeded to uh, break uh, on numerous occasions and had it reshafted, but uh, that club gave me uh, an insight into the game that I probably would never have had, and I, I, I bless my paternal grandfather for doing that. We'd just no gone through the Coventry Blitz together, so uh, it was pretty nice to go down to his local golf club in Coventry, Coventry Hursel, and uh, thrash around with my little club, you know, as a little boy. <laughs> no doubt. You know, 
Mr. Wright, I, I also read that you know you you love golf growing up. As you mentioned, uh, you know from ten years old, but you also loved rugby and racing. Maybe a little bit more up until the time when you had a bad racing accident one day in Essex. Is that is that the you know kind of the the the, the line that drew you know what now it's time to switch everything over to all golf? Well, uh, I had a terrible crash uh, at the Borum Racetrack, which is now the Ford a test track in Essex, England, and um, my mum fainted when she saw me in, unconscious in the hospital, and she said, uh, when, I, <laughs> when I awakened, she said, no more of that, young man, <laughs> or I'll disown you. <laughs> so uh, it was a, a short-lived and undistinguished career as a race driver, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> Uh, as, as I mentioned in the intro, I'm absolutely fascinated by your background. You were a Russian interpreter for the British Army. How did that come about? Well, they called me up um, in those days. I'm talking about 1951. You were obliged, everybody, every male was obliged to do two years uh, national service, as they called it. And they called me up into the Royal Electrical and mechanical engineers. And Chris, I can tell you, I know nothing mechanical, and least of all electrical. I confuse a neighborhood, you know, at, at, at will almost. So I applied at the first possible opportunity for a transfer to be sent on a Russian language course because we were at the height of the first Gold War at that time, and really, I mean, we were on the verge of the Third World War. There was no question about it. So I was bullied through uh, 15 months of intensive uh, Russian language instruction, uh, so much so that I uh, got a first-class honors degree after 15 months because I was working morning, noon, and night. And if you went on a 36-hour pass at the weekend, you had uh, homework to show to your instructor first thing Monday morning. It was wow. really, really, really hard work. And after the first three months, you were not allowed to speak English in the classroom. And if you ever fell below 40% in the monthly test, you were sent back to your original unit. And, of course, I would do anything to have avoided that. So I worked <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up um, interrogating deserters in Berlin. I could have been uh, posted to Korea and the Korean War. And luckily enough, I'd had childhood asthma. So I was graded. Uh, third class, as it were, uh, as, as a human being, <laughs> and uh, so that, so therefore, like I was not a, uh, allowed to be sent to the hostilities in Korea, from which I'm profoundly grateful. Obviously, uh, right. as it was, it, you know, things were pretty rough in Berlin. We didn't, we we hardly got out, and when we did, we were caution to be extraordinarily careful and and oh, yeah. 
I, you know, I, I, it was not what you'd call the happiest of times. But uh, I did my I did my share, and I got a little medal for it. So uh, <laughs> there we are. There you go. Now, Mr. Ray, you you've spoken with and covered just about every great golfer in the modern era. Plus, you had the opportunity to get to know Bobby Jones. When we were talking leading up to the show this week, one of the many treasures that you have is a letter from Mr. Jones. Do you mind talking about the relationship you had with him? Oh, yes. Um, He was uh, a regular reader of the Financial Times newspaper, the Pink Paper, uh, published in London. And I was their first ever golf writer. And he corresponded with me as a result because uh, he wasn't always in agreement with what I was writing. And actually, when I was summoned to what was virtually his deathbed at the Masters of 1971, before I'd started with CBS, I was working for the FT, as they called it, and the BBC at Augusta, and I was summoned to uh, Mr. Jones's bedside, and I was shown into this darkened room. And by then, Mr. Jones had virtually withered away to nothing. And um, he was in the darkened room, and the nurse came in and turned him over every 20 minutes. But his mind was as sharp as it ever was. And my goodness, he was an incredibly clever man. I mean, he held three degrees uh, in various subjects and and was one of the most erudite people I ever had the privilege of meeting. And, yeah, as I came into the darkened room, and, you know, I'd come out of the uh, hot Augusta sunlight, I had difficulty in uh, finding out where Mr. Jones was lying, and suddenly... This loud voice said, you would slap a two-stroke penalty on a professional golfer for slow play? And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I would. Uh, I I said, "Uh, Mr. Jones, you're against slow play just as I am, and we both know it's a cancer that is threatening the livelihood of golf. And uh, something's got to be done about it. And he said, well, you can't slap two strokes on a man, you might deprive him of a large part of his livelihood. And I said, well, something's got to be done. And uh, we talked on a bit about it, and then, as if to dismiss me, he said, I'll give you one stroke, and good afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) And I was ushered out of his presence, and um, he died a few months later. God rest his soul. He was a fantastic person and an uh, unbelievable man, unbelievable man. I was fortunate enough to attend the inaugural Eisenhower Trophy uh, competition at St. Andrews, Scotland, which was a four-man amateur team event. And um, he, Bobby Jones, was the non-playing American captain, and they even... Uh, shipped over a golf cart uh, for him to ride in because he was crippled by then. And I had never seen a golf cart before. Uh, Anyhow, 
I was dragged. I was a young kid who liked going to the pubs and chasing after the wenches. And I was dragged <laughs> kicking and screaming uh, by Herbert Warren Wynn, amongst others, uh, to the ceremony in the uh, Freedom Hall in St. Andrews when they gave Bobby Jones the freedom of the city and the keys to the city. And uh, I've never been so moved in my life because he had told the people that were in charge that he was not to be helped from his wheelchair to the podium. And it took him eight painful minutes to get there. I'll remember that as long as I live. And then, as he told me in the hotel later, he realized he'd left his notes in the hotel, but he had such a phenomenal mind that he had virtually memorized it anyhow. And he made this incredible emotional speech about his love for the game and the fact that he'd hated St. Andrews, torn up his card in the Open Championship and behaved like a lunatic, and how he'd come to love it uh, and love the Scots and, and so on. And it was just unbelievable. And then a gentleman at the back of the hall uh, with a beautiful tenor voice uh, struck up um, a cappello, Will ye nay come back again? And I'll tell you something, Chris, there were 1,500 people packed into that place, and there wasn't a dry eye I amongst them, including mine. And wow. I, 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 I absolutely owe a debt of gratitude to, amongst others, Herb Warren Wind, who literally dragged me to this occasion. I wanted to go to the pubs, but uh, I'm very, very pleased that I got to, to uh, witness this incredible thing. No doubt. Mr. Ray, you, you talk about what a fantastic person Mr. Jones was. And of the golfers that you got to know over the years, who were the really good guys that you enjoyed being around when you know, the microphone was off and the golf clubs were put away? Who were the guys you, you know, that you enjoyed being around? You know, Chris, the, the answer to that is really vague because there are so many good guys. There are... The, the bad guys stand out like a sore thumb, and there are so few of them. But in the old days, we were a band of brothers. The journalists and the golfers were a band of brothers. And we, you know, if, if a guy behaved scandalously uh, after hours, as it were, a golfer, that is, we would right. never betray him in print. You know, we we uh, had a, a bond of uh, secrecy, if you like, um, right. but we would never betray uh, one of our colleagues from the playing arena because we were so in love with the game. You know, it meant so much to us that uh, you just didn't want to rat on anybody. So to to that point... Right. Today, it seems, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, true of the, you know, of the media in general. And at some point in time, media came to where it almost seems like it flipped. And I don't know if, if, if you agree with that or not, but I, it seemed like today, 
everybody likes the dirty laundry, right? It's the negative news that we see, yeah. you know, in our faces day after day after day. And I do a football show, Mr. Wright, where we talk, you know, we see so many, you know, football players getting in trouble and the Ray Rices of the world and, you know, the guys like that. And, and we hear about it over and over and over again. It's, at some point yeah. in time, did you notice that the media went from this level, of, as you talk about, level of secrecy and we didn't want to air that dirty laundry to now that's what you, we love to do. I, the media loves to do the dirty laundry. Yeah, you know, Chris, it, it all happened when the newspapers who were having a struggle financially uh, pulled off the golf beat reporters, as they used to be called. In other words, you, the, the newspapers couldn't afford to have a full-time golf correspondent. And that was when uh, the cancer crept into the golf writing business. I mean, in my young days, golf was incredibly enriched, uh, enriched, I'm sorry, enriched by its fantastic literature. You know, there were unbelievable golf books and there was unbelievably good writing day by day in the newspapers. As a matter of fact, my editor at the Financial Times, a gentleman who was knighted for his services to journalism, Sir Gordon Newton, uh, gave me one hell of a going over because I quoted Nicholas very fully after he, Jack had won the British Open of uh, 1966 at Muirfield, Scotland, his first ever victory in the event. And uh, Sir Gordon said, we pay you to describe the scene and express yourself. We don't need to be quoting golfers right, left, and center, even if they are as, as august a figure as Jack Nicklaus. And, um, boy, that did that teach me a lesson. <laughs> I didn't use quotes very often in my column after that. And, uh, you know, I think it all changed, and, of course, the social media has further uh, cheapened everything and, and made it, as you so rightly say, so negative. It's, it's dirt that they're seeking. And, of course, I was on the uh, receiving end of that a bit in my time with CBS when I got heaved out for right. talking, you know, there were too many lesbians on the LPGA tour to make it a viable uh, proposition on TV and the boobs got in the way of a golf swing. And I might tell you, I've had literally hundreds of women who since then have come and rubbed their chest against mine and say, yeah, they do get in the way. And I, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that sounds irreverent, but I don't mean it. So it were, they were women who were very much in sympathy with me for for my dismissal, and um, I love women, and uh, and I love women golfers, and I think that they are phenomenal, and uh, and I believe now that if only they can get some more Americans to fend off the Orientals, the women's game is in the best ever shape it could be. 
you you talk about getting a going over, Mr. Wright, and and they say in professional sports sometimes the trades you didn't make turn out to be actually the best ones. And and back in 1973, CBS Sports flew you out from London to cover the LA Open and the late great Frank Cherkinian, you know, the legendary producer for CBS, who you became very close to, had some words to you about, you know, the style with which you broadcast that day. And you actually tried to fly back out that night, which would have changed the course not only of golf history, but broadcasting history. Do you mind sharing that story and your relationship with Mr. Tricanian? No, I don't mind at all. Um, Frank had not taken very kindly to me uh, when I was brought in to work for CBS in 1972 because I was appointed over his head, and he was not known as the Ayatollah for nothing. And (laughs) he was extremely ticked off that uh, I had been appointed over his head because he regarded uh, CBS golf as his fiefdom, as it were. So I was late for rehearsal uh, for reasons that I thought were perfectly adequate uh, because I had a hell of a job getting from uh, London, England to Los Angeles. And I didn't know where Riviera Country Club was from a hole in the ground. And I had a cab driver from the Bel Air Hotel who was, I think, more familiar with Afghanistan than Los Angeles, and he couldn't find Riviera. And I was late for rehearsal. So after uh, really reaming me out, in a in a very public way, <laughs> he said, "Okay, now you're done, Limey. Take it from here." And I was at the par three sixteenth hole uh, on the. This was on Friday, Friday morning of the second round, and Bruce Devlin, a great Australian golfer, uh, made a terrible hash of the par three sixteenth at which I was stationed. He flashed it across the green from bunker to bunker. And he he had come in with a two-stroke lead in the event and walked out as, you know, just a member of the pack after a double bogey. And I was dumb enough to say, now it's all a new ball game. And Mr. Chikinian said, where the hell did you learn that expression? Uh, from you dumb limey uh, and there were a few more expletives and I said well I learned it from you folks uh, Frank he said you learned it from us folks you dumb limey so do you not realize we pay you to be an Englishman and sound like an Englishman and go wah 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 with a plum in his mouth that nobody understands him, but they think you, because you come from Britain, you must know something about it. He said, if I ever understand another word you say, you're fired. Which <laughs> 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 was, wasn't quite true, but my goodness, I, I, uh, I became suddenly very, very English in my delivery and probably, <laughs> probably saved my mediocre career. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great So, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, it, it was a very salutary experience. And Frank 
could be absolutely ruthlessly hard and really ethnically incorrect, as it were, uh, politically speaking. Uh, but if you did the job, there was no one more loyal to you. And I remember distinctly being at CBS headquarters and uh, one of the presidents of the network had decided I was too expensive. They were flying me over from England. And in one year in the middle 70s, I did 22 round trips between our wow. countries. Uh, first class, you know, and that cost a ton of money. Uh, and um, this president of CBS decided I was too expensive. So called up with Frank to CBS headquarters in Black Rock on 52nd Street in New York. And um, Frank was called in first by uh, this gentleman. Um, and I heard distinctly from the uh, ante room where I was waiting uh, to be fired. <laughs> and uh, Frank was something. Uh, the president's desk saying, if the limey goes, I go. And uh, it struck me as absolutely unbelievable. And I was called in to be told uh, that I wasn't going to be fired. And um, Frank became my dearest friend. And I mourn his passing every time I think about it because he was just the greatest producer, director of golf, in my opinion, the world has ever seen. And I worked with a lot of the great ones all around the world. And and um, there was only one that I can, no, two I can think of off the top of my head who were anywhere near as good as he. And that was Mac Hemian, who started ABC's Wild World of Sports. And a gentleman in England who worked for the BBC called Alan Mouncer. Uh, they were both consummate operators, but not quite in the same league as, as Frank Chukinian. You know something, Chris? When I first rewatched or watched for the first time uh, the last day's broadcast of Jack Nicholas's sixth. Masters win in 1986, I was immediately impressed by how long periods of silence there were. And I, can, yeah. I could just imagine Frank saying, shut the something up and let it play, <laughs> you bloody idiot, or something <laughs> to that effect. And you know something? That's, that's where Frank was a genius. He would shut you up. Anyhow, on that broadcast, on that particular day, when it was actually happening, and Jack Nicklaus made his historic eagle at my right. hole the 15th, um, I was literally unable to hear Frank Chikinian for the first and only time in my career with him, you know, which was pretty long. And I, I I was totally and utterly bewildered because the crowd noise was so enormous. I never 
heard anything like it. So wow. I said no, I said nothing. And that night we always had a cookout after the uh, the event had, had finished, and we were particularly uh, happy because it had been such a great event, probably one of the greatest, the greatest event I was ever associated with as a broadcaster. And I apologized to Frank, and I said, I'm sorry, I, but I just couldn't hear a word you say. You said because of the noise of the crowd who were going crazy for Nicholas. Yeah. And Frank said, you did absolutely right, my boy. And I wish some of your colleagues would do the same every now and again. Uh, wow. And I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, keep silent. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it, very interesting, really. Valued silence like nobody else I've ever known or worked with, maybe with the exception of Henry Longhurst who was my guide and mentor. And he would never say anything more than he had to. And, um, you know, I, that, I, I remember Henry saying to Frank, who, who'd put him on camera, and, you know, Henry was a pretty uh, decrepit old man at the time. And he said, Frank, you have failed utterly to realize that announcers should be heard and not seen. And I thought that was hilarious, but uh, <laughs> uh, well, Henry was, he was a, he was a, a, a card. My goodness, he was, he was crazy. To, to expand a little bit on, you know, your being there in the 86 Masters with Mr. Nicholas, people can say all they want about Vern Lundquist and him saying, yes, sir, when Mr. Nicholas's putt on 17 went in. But I remember your whole call of the 15th hole that day. I remember, you know, and it, it, it has stuck with me, Mr. Wright. You know, you're saying the old bear is back and how he and Jackie... Yeah. When they were surveying the putt, you know, he's really looked at this one, you know, from every conceivable angle. And when Mr. Nicholas backed away from his, you know, practice putting stroke while he was on the green, now he will wait for absolute quiet. And you were the first person to say, yes, sir, which was about yes. a half an hour before Vern Lundquist used <laughs> the same phrase. Yes. Talk about that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I, for a while, Vern claimed it to be his, uh, but... Eventually, he saw the light and admitted it was me. Very grudgingly, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't really matter, does it? No. So, you know, that day, you know, and, and like I said in the intro, and, and you've talked about a little bit here, you know, the crowd being as loud as it was and what a what a special event it was that day. Could you sense, you know, I mean, you're at the 15th hole, so I'm assuming you, you're... you're you understand the charge that he's having on on the back nine leading up to the event, you know, at at 15 when you when you pick up the call. But was the was the sense of anticipation for you great as you saw him coming up 15? And are you rooting for him sort of at that point? Well, I've got to tell you that I thought he was going to uh, Nicholas going to fall just short because if you remember, he bogeyed the par three 12. Right, uh, uh, and I thought that might just scupper him 
because, you know, you had Seve, uh, Greg Norman, uh, Tom Kite. They were all in there with, with their chances. And I thought, you know, he might have blown it at the 12th. But when he made the eagle at 15, uh, I became a believer again. And I, I, I guess I've got to say I wanted him really, really badly to do it. Of course, you're not allowed to give that kind of impression, but I'm right. sure I'm sure I probably let it, let it uh, escape somehow. But, um, yeah, I wanted him to win. I think it was one of the great achievements ever recorded in the game of golf. You, you also called one of Mr. Nicholas's other great triumphs at Augusta in, in 1975. And a phrase you used that day when Tom Weiskopf made a birdie at 15 while Mr. Nicholas was walking up to the tee at 16, and I'll never forget, you said, that is evil music ringing in Nicholas's ear. That's another great line. Talk about, you know, that day. Um, that, that was great because Henry came back. And when Nicholas held the monstrous putt on, on 16, uh, I think Henry said, if memory serves me right, uh, Nicholas has created a little evil music of his own. And uh, <laughs> I remember Frank saying to his dying day that that was the best exchange he'd ever heard between uh, two announcers and uh I was very flattered by that, um, but I, you know, I, I, I was, I never rehearsed anything. It all came. It was everything was spontaneous with me. Um, I took only the pairings sheet to the tower because I'd done all my homework before I went there, and I think spontaneity is enormously important in our business. Uh, and I think my great friend and sparring partner, Gary McCord, became a little less spontaneous um, after I left him because he always had his laptop up the uh, tower with him and he would choose from any number of phrases that he put into the computer. And I think, you know, that is a mistake. I think spontaneity brings out the best in you if you've got it in you to have the best. You you also got to spend a lot of time in the Eisenhower cabin and playing rounds of golf at Augusta National. I can't imagine life gets any better than that. What was it like spending time just away from the tournament but being on the grounds and being a part of what was going on at Augusta National? Uh, do you know something, Chris? It was like dying and going to heaven if you were uh, as keen on the game as I was. And and, and am, I might have. Um, wh what happened was uh, I drove down from my uh, mountaintop house here in the western North Carolina, Carolina mountains in Flat Rock on the Monday afternoon and was ushered into the Eisenhower cabin where I was given Eisenhower's bedroom. And wow. That was entirely uh, 
the walls were entirely covered by black and white pictures of the various places at which he had served in his incredibly long and distinguished military career, which was absolutely awesome for me. And then um, at cocktail hour, we went downstairs. Pat Sumrall was in the adjoining bedroom. And we went downstairs for cocktails with Mr. Horde Harding, who then ran the show, ran the Masters, and did for several years uh, with great uh, elegance, as a matter of fact. And we had cocktails, and then we walked across to the main dining room and had dinner there. I went back to the uh, cabin, had a nightcap. Then the next morning, we had breakfast in the men's grill upstairs. And then we played the big course, having hit balls. We played the big course at 9.30. Uh, and Mr. Hardin and Frank Chikinian, year after year, played Pat and myself. And we beat them like a drum, I might have. <laughs> and, but, which made it all the more fun for me. But anyhow, we played the big course, and it was magnificent. Uh, everybody got out of the way as they saw Mr. Hardin coming because he liked to play quickly, and I always admire people who do that since that's the way I was brought up in England. But um, anyhow, we had lunch in the uh, locker room grill, and then Mr. Hardin would say year after year that he had work to do in the afternoon which I suspect was a fib or a lie. <laughs> uh, I think he went for a nap, but I, I I didn't care because Frank, Pat, and myself played skins on the par three course till it was time to get cleaned up for the cocktail hour, and we'd go nice. through the same evening ring and roll again. And we did yeah. that and, le- and left on Friday morning having played golf all of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, in the week before the Masters. So wow. we, saw, we saw the golf course exactly as it was going to be. And I remember one year, the greens were so impossibly fast. Um, but actually, Horde Hardin summoned the superintendent and told him to back off. And wow. I shall never... I shall never forget that I managed to uh, play a decent third shot to the par 5-8 up the hill and round the corner, and I was 15 feet to the right of the flagstick, which was stationed on the front center portion of the green, because most of the pins were towards the front uh, because of the tournament being the following week. And um, I was about to, to putt, and I was, you know, I was really perplexed. I had a 15-foot putt, and yet I was aiming 10 feet right of the hole. And my wow. cat, my caddy, uh, an African-American uh, club caddy, said, no, Mr. Wright, you've got to hit it to the top of the hill. In other words... Uh, at right angles to the hole and let it come down the slope and that's your only hope of staying on the green with this puck. 
<laughs> and I did it, and I did it, and the damn thing went in the hole. And Horde Hardin, Horde Hardin let out a bunch of expletives that were quite graphic. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> and and called right. me, and called me a very rude name. I like <laughs> I bet he did too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if, CBS, if CBS asked you to come back and broadcast one more Masters, would you do it? Oh, I'd love to. I would give my eye teeth to, but I would have to defer to my colleagues because I don't follow it as closely as they are forced to do. Although, you know, because I broadcast every week with Matt Adams on the right. fairways of life. Um, right. I, we'll talk I about do that. pay. I do pay uh, quite a bit of attention, but uh, not like I used to. You know, I mean, I used to have everything in the top of my head. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, it would be uh, it would be an incredible thing for me just to sit there at my old uh, perch. But of course, uh, David Fairley might be. Totally ticked off if I if I displaced <laughs> it. Uh, maybe we the maybe the two of us could share the position. There you uh, go. But now you're talking. Wouldn't be a bad idea. You you uh, talked about this yes. a moment ago, but you know you you made one comment 20 years ago that that cost you the role at CBS. Now, now like we were talking about a moment ago, all the negative things that you see athletes do and people just sort of you know in, in the media in general do and get second and third chances to come back and continue to play the sport that they're in does it bother you that society that is so willing to forgive athletes you know that repeatedly you know do things and you know from a negative thing whether you know it's domestic violence or you know a, you know a child abuse that we see now in the NFL and things of that nature and and they're allowed to have a second chance that no one reached out to you to give you a second chance well, it's very interesting that you should ask me that, Chris, because I was I was bitter and twisted for a while, uh, but I had sort of given up on ever being given a second chance when along came Matt Adams, God bless him, and right. gave me that gave me that second chance, uh, and he said to me. Um, having done a very successful interview with me, about an hour long, I think, but they played out a a number of times. And he said, uh, Ben, I don't know whether you remember me. And I said, of course I remember you. You did the best interview with me that I've ever had. And uh, he said, I want you to be on my program for the rest of your life. And I said, Matt, do you know how old I am? That could be three weeks, buddy. <laughs> and <laughs> and here we are, three and a half years later, and I enjoy enormously doing my weekly little chat with uh, Matt, mostly about the past, of course, because I, I said to him, as I said to you, I don't have much of a future, but I have a hell of a past. And I think... <laughs> I think that's fairly true. It is very true. And I'll tell you to to that end, you know, Matt, you know, 
Matt and his uh, his producer Dominic Scarano are two guys that you and I both think very highly of. And to your point, people can hear their show Fairways of Life uh, every weekday morning on the PGA Channel on Sirius XM Channel 93. And I've had the honor, Mr. Wright, of, of having Matt as a guest on this show a couple of times. And Dominic does such a great job, uh, uh, you know, being his producer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the first, the, the first time I had Matt join me on the show, I asked him about his relationship with you and how that got started because, as I said to him, I've missed you being a part of you know, the broadcasting, particularly the majors. And, and what he said to me was that he had a personal conviction towards you, and that conviction is that a man's life should be judged by the balance and weight of what he's done, not by a flashpoint, either good or bad. He said he wrote a letter to you saying, you know, you've been banished long enough and people want to hear from you and would, he would love to give you that forum to be heard. Would, you know, I, I, you, you talk about it a moment ago, but would you be interested, you know, and, and kind of talking about how, you know, that relationship is formed and let people know because I want them to know how they can hear you on a regular basis. Well, you know something, I, I can't tell you how much I value the fact that I have a weekly appointment. It really has brought a lot of purpose back into my life. You know, I'm 82 going on 83 now. But, I've, you know, I've, I've, Henry used to, Henry Longhurst used to say to me, you know, if you keep your marbles as you get older, no one can argue with you because you're so old they weren't around to argue. Uh, that anything was true or untrue, so you can get away with anything you like. <laughs> Which I think, I think that's a bit, a bit going a bit far. But the point is, uh, I I just I can't tell you how much it means to me what Matt and Dominic do to to make life fantastically exciting for me uh, once a week. And you know that may seem over the top, but it, if, you, if you've been away for as long as I was, uh, it means an awful lot. I've done countless uh, shows around the country, but nothing except John Boy and Billy out of Charlotte. Uh, I do do them on a regular basis on the, on the big golf events. I'm the big show golf correspondent, according to John Boy. God bless him. <laughs> So, uh, anyhow, (laughs) but it's not the same as a weekly gig with Matt and Dominic. Yeah. They do such a great job, and like I say, they've they've been great to me, and uh, they actually got us hooked up. So I'm very thankful for for Dominic and for Matt for for allowing me the opportunity and the and the honor to be able to talk with you. Um, before we let you go, Mr. Wright, I know, you, like you say, you you live up in uh, the mountains in North Carolina. You're you're still doing some wonderful things for some you know some great charities. Talk about the events that that you get to host and the other things you're doing now. Well, I concentrate quite a lot on on uh, charity now and I have tournaments in my name uh, one in South Carolina for Meals on Wheels we've netted in 19 years of a one day event we've netted close to 7 million uh, dollars wow. and, uh, and I do an, another one the Ben Wright Invitational at Crystal Mountain, Michigan near Traverse City, 
and that is the junior golf. And, um, I, you know, it gives me great uh, satisfaction. I, since I've taken a very great deal out of the game, it's, it makes it appreciate, you know, and good for me, it makes me feel better that I'm giving a little bit back in my dotage, as it were. Well, Mr. Wright, it, it has been an incredible privilege to get to spend some time with you this morning. And I know how much you enjoy being on Matt's show and doing the other things uh, you know that you just mentioned. I, I would certainly love for you to come back and be a part of this show from time to time because you know so much about the game and, and you are such an incredible you know person and resource to talk about the legends of the game. And there's so many more things about the time that you, know, you got to spend with Mr. Hogan and Mr. Sneed and, and all the great legends from back in the 50s, 60s, 70s that I'd love to get yeah. into with you. Um, but I hope yeah. you'll come back and do it again. I'd love to, uh, Chris. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I run off at the mouth rather easily, but uh, I hope your listeners uh, will appreciate I've still got a huge affection for the game, despite the fact my own game is absolutely appalling. (laughs) I bet that's not true. I bet you're still really good at it. Uh, (laughs) Alas. I I had my last success in 2013 when my partner and I won the uh, Burning Tree Club's Invitational in Washington D.C. and uh, and I've competed very little since because I I I know when enough is enough. Well, good for you for going out on top and it, it, and winning an event in your 80s. That's uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Wright, thank you for being here. I hope to get the opportunity and the honor of having you again sometime. In the meantime, happy holidays to you and your family, and I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Uh, I would love it, Chris. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, thank you for being so indulgent to me. Oh. It's a it's an absolute honor for me to to have had you as part of the show. Uh, have a great rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Good day. Bye bye. Wow, you want to talk about a thrill and an honor of a lifetime? It's the uh, to spend uh, the, the greater part of uh, almost an hour with Mr. Ben Wright, and uh, I hope I do get the privilege of having him back on the show again real soon. That would uh, absolutely be fantastic. All right, but be- before we close up shop, folks, I want to let you know about you know the great book. You've heard me talking about it over the last several weeks, A Golden 18, written by Roger Schiffman in the photography by one of our friends and one of the great photographers anywhere on the planet, Jim Mandeville. Jim, I'm sure you know, is the director of photography now at the uh, at the Nicholas Company. He's been there for many, many years. The book showcases some of Mr. Nicholas's greatest golf course designs. The stories about the courses are wonderful, and his photography is simply outstanding. In fact, it's so good, you're going to want a second copy of that book uh, so you can take some of the pictures out and get them framed. So it's going to make a great gift for this holiday season for the golfer in your life, particularly guys like me who are also big fans of Mr. Nicholas. To get your copy, go to nicholas.com and hover over Products and Partners, the tab you're going to see on the homepage, and then click on Books and Videos. If you love golf and stunning photography, you're going to love this book. 
All right, everybody, it's time to put a bow on this one. My sincere thanks once again to Mr. Wright for being such a great guest with me this morning, and we thank you for tuning in. You know we appreciate you the very most. Please check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find it live on Blog Talk Radio. It's rebroadcast Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Boost Radio and on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We're joined every week by legends from around the NFL and and CFL. Please check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. You can find us online at nextonthetee.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free and keep up to date with who our future guests are on, on those sites. I thank you again for you know making the choice to listen to this show. I can't thank you enough for being a part of it. Uh, until next week, my friends, hit them straight. choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. And this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, 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 and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers.